You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're glad that you're joining us for another episode. We'd like to welcome you on in and, and ask that if you have not done so already, that you would become a routine subscriber and a routine downloader of our podcast. We release new episodes every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as always, we want uh, your help to kind of overcome the big tech algorithms. If you would, please, if you're listening via Facebook, hit that like button, uh, share that content with the friends that you may have on Facebook. If you're listening from a podcast app, uh, there's an opportunity there for you to comment, to rate and review. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback, how you're liking the Bonefire podcast. We hope that you love it, uh, but we'll take both good and bad feedback alike. Uh, that'll help us get uh, past these algor- algorithms and get this message out further uh, so that more people can hear about what we're doing here with Bonefire. And it's not because we just want larger numbers, but we really want to see more people come uh, into a knowledge of knowing who Jesus Christ is and to get on fire and really want to study His Word. Uh, That's what we're hoping to accomplish by uh, the ministry that we're doing here. So if you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate that. Well, Dad, on this episode, we will be in the fourth uh, episode in our series, By Faith. And in this series, we've been studying through uh, Faith's Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter 11. And thus far, we've looked at three members of the Hall of Faith. And uh, we looked at the lives of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, uh, we would greatly encourage you to go back and check them out. Um, I think you'll find those to just be a blessing. They've been great for me as I've been studying. I know you've been enjoying it too, Dad, as we've been going through this. And so go back and check out those episodes. But uh, you can continue listening on uh, to this one and then go back and check those out. So uh, the next members that we're going to be going to study are going to be Abraham and Sarah. Now, it's notable that this faithful couple is the first and only couple listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Abraham, of course, he's a notable figure in the Bible. Uh, He is extolled and scriptured as the father of all who believe, and he is revered by over half the world's population, being held in high esteem by Jews, Muslims, and and Christians alike. In ancient times, the Jews considered Abraham to almost be worthy of their worship. And as we'll see in this, uh, in a text for this episode, Abraham is presented to us as a great example of a man who lived by faith. He was even called a friend of God in the epistle of James. But it's important to remember that before he was a friend of God, Abraham, he was a pagan and mm-hmm. he was an idolater. Uh, but by faith, he went from worshiping idols to worshiping the one true and living God. Abraham and Sarah faithfully believed all the promises God made to them. And in our text today, the writer of Hebrews, when speaking about the faith of Abraham and Sarah, referenced what I like to call three monumental acts of faith. In these three monumental acts of faith, we see that Abraham and Sarah displayed faith to go, faith to grow, and faith to let go. So we're going to jump in and just follow that outline uh, right now. And so as our first one we want to look at is faith to go. Now, Abraham's first act of monumental faith was displayed in his faith to go as he was called by God. Let's start looking at our text from Hebrews chapter 11. If you got your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it with us and study along. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 10. And let's read that together. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place at which he would receive an inheritance. 
And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which was found, which foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So let's look. We see here in, the, in the, these verses that Abraham was called. And so I want us to go back and, and find exactly where Abraham received that call. And we, we have that documented in Scripture. And so if you turn back into Genesis, uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at that call. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram. Now, remember, Abraham was called Abram up until the time that the uh, covenant of the circumcision was given. And so uh, this is Abram and also Abraham. So it says, The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And then all of your families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. And so, Dad, I, I just love this here. We see that uh, God goes to Abraham, or Abram at this time, and he, he gives him a call. And he says, I want you to leave everything that you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to leave all the normality of your life, and I want you to go somewhere else. And what I find interesting is that we have no record of uh, Abraham second-guessing or questioning God's call. We only see faithful obedience. Mm-hmm. Now think about it. From a human perspective, there would have been so many questions, you know, the ones that start with, who, what, when, where, why, and even how. Yet the account in Genesis just says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. Talk about an act of monumental faith. Our text in Hebrews tells us more about Abraham's act of faith. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham didn't even know where he was going, but he was obedient to what God said, and he just went and followed. Now, Dad, you got something on that about he didn't know where he was going. That's exactly right. We don't read anywhere where God specifically said at this first calling that Abraham, or of course he was referred to as Abram then, I'm sending you to Canaan. Uh, so uh, perhaps he did not know he was going uh, to Canaan, or maybe he did. I'm not exactly sure. I want to point out something to you. Kenneth Wiest, the New Testament Greek scholar, points out that the Greek word translated knowing is not one of the usual Greek words for knowing, but means to put one's attention on, to fix one's thoughts on, to know like that. Abraham's faith, Wiest said, was so great that he was not particularly concerned as to what the nature of the country was that he was going to. He didn't know about Canaan. Therefore, when God told him to get out of his country, it was not all the good things about Canaan he had heard that motivated him to pack up and leave his home and go there. As with modern-day immigrants that at first opportunity pack up and leave their homeland to come to America because of what they know about America, a place of freedom and opportunity. And of course, it's all over the news uh, today. Today, all the people that are on the Texas border and the border in Arizona and the California border down there uh, trying to get into our country. You know why they're trying to get 
into our country because they know something about America. Sure. And, and what they know about America, being a place of freedom and opportunity, a place where you can succeed and have something in life, that's in their mind, and they're thinking about that. They're wanting to get over here. Well, this is what we used to say. Abraham didn't have anything like that on his mind in regard to the place that God was sending him, whether or not God actually specified Canaan or or didn't even mention it. He didn't have anything like that on his mind. All he had on his mind was doing what God said. Abraham, not knowing where he was going as to the kind of place, just obeyed. Think about it. No questions asked. No need for further information. No need for travel brochures. God said, get out and go. And he obeyed. Now, in his journey, uh, where would he camp on the side of the road as he's making his way to where God wants to send him? Where would he set up his home once he got there? God didn't tell him at the outset, you will stay here and here and here. Abraham trusted God to lead him one step at a time. And some people have to have all the details before they move, before they do what God asked them to do. That's not the way it works with God. God says, get moving, and then I will direct you. You can't steer a car that isn't moving, and God can't guide us if we aren't moving. We first have to obey what we already know is God's will, as revealed in His Word, the Bible. And in doing that, he will direct us. Now, Matt, when I was thinking about this as I was preparing for our study today, I thought about one of our church members, and you can you can add to this too, Jimmy Benfield. Mm-hmm. Jimmy uh, g- gave a testimony not too long ago in one of our, our Bible studies on Sunday night about something similar to this very thing. Now, God didn't tell Jimmy uh, to go to a land I'm not going to show I'm not telling you about right now, like Canaan, uh, but he told him to go, just like he told Abraham to go. He he told Jimmy, "I want you to go down near Louisiana and Texas, where a you know a, a hurricane had come through and tore up the place, and trees on people's houses, and in the yards, and across the roads." Now you see, uh, Jimmy. He is a bivocational pastor, or he was at the time. He was a a Baptist preacher, but at the same time, pastor in a little small church. He also had a job where he uh, cut wood for people, Mm -hmm. you know. He was a tree guy. He was a tree guy. That's right. And so he had all the equipment and the chainsaws, and he felt like God was speaking to his heart when he saw the reports on television about the devastation, uh, about what happened down there to these people's homes and, you know, uh, trees on power lines and, and you know, churches being damaged too. And so, you know, Jimmy's not a wealthy person, but he had a truck. He had a chainsaw. He had just a little bit of money. I think he seemed like he said it was around $600 or something like that. You know, that was just enough gas to get on down there from South Carolina, upstate South Carolina, to where he needed to go because a big truck like that took a lot of gas. That's right. And so Jimmy said, I went as far as I could go. And I pulled in to get some some uh, gasoline, and you know he told the story about how one stop after another, people would see that that truck out there, knowing that perhaps he was going to help folks, yep. and they'd come up to him, pure strangers, nobody he knew, 
and and give him some money. He said, get, here's some money to get some gas. Here's some money maybe to get you a hamburger. Yep. And he said they'd give me a little bit of money, and that'd get me to the next place where I'd, I'd run out of gas. That's right. I was almost on, you know, like vapors and just pulled into another station, not knowing how I was going to pay for the gas. I, he told us he parked the truck over to the side, not knowing how he was going to pay for the gas. He just waited. That's he right. said, God's, God's the one that told me to go. And so then there you go. Everywhere he went, some, somebody would come up. And he wasn't going around saying, putting his hand out saying, can you give me some money? I want. He didn't do that. Yeah. People came to him. I mean, they put two and two together. They saw the truck. They, they, they knew it was a, a, you know, a, a truck where people would go and cut down trees and haul logs. And, and so they just put two and two together. And God obviously spoke to them. And from one stop to the next, he'd get enough money to get a little bit further, a little bit further. Right. And then, you know, how was he going to? Uh, pay his bills because he made his money cutting trees here in upstate South Carolina for a living. He was doing that for free. Sure. He wasn't charging anybody anything. And so how was his power bill going to get paid? How was he going to have money to send back while he's down there for his wife to buy groceries? He just trusted God and, and, and God allowed him to stay there i think you said it was a few months wasn't yeah, it? yeah my recollection is it wasn't just like a like a one-time occurrence he was there for an extended period of time weeks to months and uh, as you said he went with just what would be considered a very small amount of money and the whole time he lived by faith and it was just people coming up one after another money for gas money for food money for a place to stay um and that kept him going it got him all the way down there and it got him all the way back and he did not miss one payment on That's anything right. he owed like uh, like a power bill he was able to meet all his obligations here even though he was down there That's and, right. and he was working for free doing it for the lord you know to me i don't know i just come to my mind when i was thinking about abraham and and i know abraham had to be like jimmy you know he probably didn't have enough uh, money uh to travel from where he was and near the Persian Gulf all the way to the northern part of, uh, take for instance, uh, Iran and Turkey, that area, and then go all the way down to Canaan. And so uh, he just trusted God, and he went from one place to the other. God provided for him till he got to where he wanted him to be, and he, then he continued to provide for him. That's exactly right. You know, it's amazing, Dad, as we talked about, he didn't know maybe the location or at least didn't know anything about where That's he right. was supposed to go. Uh, but what what I find interesting is Hebrews uh, chapter 11 also tells us that once he got there to the land, um, it was supposed to be an inheritance, but he didn't own the land. Right. And in fact, he never owned the land. Um, it would never be part of uh, land that he actually physically owned. Verse 9 says that Abraham and his family lived like those living in a foreign country. They were dwelling in tents. All they had was temporary Shelter and think about it, Dad. We believe that you know wherever Abraham and his family were living uh, there in, in Ur at the time, uh, they most likely had a house or, or you know a, a permanent structure to live in, uh, and, and probably they left all those comforts of home and they went off and they're living in tents, living in, in temporary shelter, um, and living like they're living in in a foreign country. Yeah, you know, I, when I think about the living in the tents, it just come to me as you were talking. I've seen this on television. You folks out there in the podcast land, you have too. Take, for instance, like war in Syria or war 
in in uh, some country. It causes people to flee. And then, you know, the news report will be about the people that leave one country to go to another. Where are they always, uh, you know, portrayed as being? In a tent, in a tent. city. Yeah. In a, a ref- tent city. Refugee camp is nothing but a bunch of tents strung together. That's a bunch of tents strung together. That's exactly right. You know, uh, it seemed like wherever Abraham went in in this course of following God, he always did two things. The first thing he did was he would erect an altar. The altar was the place where Abraham met God in prayer and represents his faith and reminds us of his dedication to God. But now, why did he continue to live in a tent once he got to Canaan, you might be thinking, well, I think of mainly two reasons. Number one, when Abraham got there, Canaan was already occupied, as you pointed out, Matt. He found out that the population of Canaan was godless and wicked. So Abraham had mind enough to know that he needed to keep separate from these people. My mom used to say, if you lay down with dogs, you'll get fleas. And, of course, you know that bad company corrupts good morals. Note who also lived in tents beside Abraham. Isaac, his son that was born later on, and Jacob, his grandson. Abraham taught his sons, his son and his grandson the principle of separation. And the second reason for Abraham living in tents is found in verse 10. Can you read that, Matt? Yeah, verse 10 says, For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's right. God had told Abraham uh, he was giving him and his descendants the land of Canaan. Uh, But as I said, after he got there, it was occupied. So Abraham patiently waited until God let him take possession. Now, it's not easy to wait, but Abraham trusted God and lived in a tent. But That was all right with Abraham because he knew that the land God gave him was just temporary. It was only going to be his uh, as long as he lived in the body. Now, you know, God also promised it to his descendants, but I'm talking about his very own. I mean, when we die, I mean, the house you live in is going to somebody. It might be your children, but it's Mm -hmm. not going to be you that you're you're not going to be living there. He knew the land was just temporary. He was looking beyond what God had in store for him in this life, uh, and he was looking to his heavenly home. It's interesting that he referred to to heaven as a city. Now, we know in the book of Revelation the name of this eternal city, New Jerusalem. It is described in Revelation 21 and 22. It is said in Hebrews to have foundations. Now, Revelation 21, 19 says of New Jerusalem that the foundations of the wall of the city of New Jerusalem were adorned with all kinds of precious stones like jasper and beryl, topaz, just to name some. Uh, Jerry Vines, uh, a a preacher uh, days gone by, still preaching today, he's up in his 80s. He said, and I like what he pointed out here, the only foundations in this world that Abraham had were tent pegs driven in the sand. But Abraham knew out there God had promised him a city that had foundations, a city whose builder and maker was God. The word builder literally means designer. Jesus designed New Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, you know, he told his disciples in John 14, uh, 2, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. If you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, he has prepared a place for you like like God prepared a place for Abraham. He was looking forward to that home. He's prepared a place for you. He's prepared a place for me. And 
I've often said this many a time at funerals, you know, especially if I happen to be using John chapter 14 as a funeral text. I talk about the fact that right up the road from where we live in South Carolina, we live in the upstate. We can see the mountains from where we live. But right up the road in the North Carolina mountains is a mansion, an incredible mansion. Now, for those of you that live in California, and I'm sure you got mansions like that out there too, but there's not too many mansions on the East Coast like the Biltmore House. That's right. And I mean, I remember years ago, I went to that that Biltmore house, it was uh, uh, grand to look at, but with all those rooms, and I, I was younger, and I thought to myself, if you've seen one bathroom, you've seen them all, you know. But it, it was magnificent looking. They say at Christmas time, it's wonderful and beautiful and gorgeous. It's worth the money to go. A lot of people get engaged at the at uh, the Biltmore house. You know, it's a, a fascinating place. But as beautiful as that place is, it doesn't hold a candle to the place that God's prepared for his children. That's exactly right. So we see here that Abraham displayed faith to go. Uh, God came to him and said, Abraham, I I want you to go. And uh, Abraham just started packing immediately, it seemed. Uh, Even while God was talking, he was getting his his things together and Mm -hmm. on his way um, out the door. And so just amazing when you think about uh, the step of faith that that took for Abraham to leave everything that he knew, all of the comforts that he probably had uh, with his uh, extended family around him and, and the life that he had built there in a very familiar area to go to this land that was being promised to him. And so that's our first monumental act of faith was faith to go. I want us to look at our next monumental act of faith, and that is faith to grow. From the initial call by God, we see that God had promised uh, Abraham that he would make a great nation out of Abraham. Uh, You saw that there in that Genesis passage that we read uh, just a few moments ago. Um, However, at the time that that promise was made, Abraham and Sarah were already kind of advanced in age and had no children. In fact, Genesis 11, verse 30, clearly states that Sarah was barren. Now, in ancient cultures, for a woman to be barren was worse than death. But Abraham and Sarah had faith that God would fulfill his promise to grow their family into a great nation. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Let's read that together now. It says, By faith... Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and from him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sands which are by the seashore. So in this verse here, we see uh, God's plan uh, come together here, that he was going to make a great nation out of, out of Abraham. And against all physical odds, Sarah trusted God's promise. And at the uh, young age of 90 years old, uh, she gave birth to a baby boy, Isaac. But I want you to, to remember, uh, you know, if we just stop right here, uh, the, the episode where we are, you may think, well, these are just perfect people of faith. We told you when we started this series that many of the members of the Hall of Faith, they stumbled uh, at one time or another in their faith. And, and that could be said of Sarah and Abraham in regards to this promise. Think about this. For example, in Genesis chapter 15, when talking to God, Abraham inquires just how he's going to bring all this together. He didn't understand, Dad. He he was confused, and he was he was looking at this land, and he was telling God, he's like, well, God, you said it's my inheritance. How am I going to inherit it? 
And then he says, well, God, you said you're going to make me this great nation. Well, I don't have any kids. Is it is it going to be through this relative? That's my heir. And God says, no, it's not going to be through them. It's going to be through the child that's going to come from you. And and Abraham just had a hard time understanding exactly how the ways of God were going to work uh, for this to come about. Then we see also in, in chapter 16, Sarah, she attempted to solve the problem herself by giving Abraham her handmaid, Hagar. And what made matters worse, Abraham went along with the plan, and he ended up having um, a baby by Hagar, trying to, to, to help God out in his plan. And then finally, we see in Genesis chapter 18, when God came to visit Abraham with two angels, God tells Abraham that Sarah will give birth to a child around the same time next year. Listening into the conversation from inside the tent, Sarah laughed at the thought of such happening and then lied about doing so. So we see that this faithful couple stumbled, but they never actually lost their faith in God. And you may ask yourself, well, why in the world does Sarah end up in the hall of faith? How is that even possible? Well, she may not have understood how God would work, but verse 11 says that she did believe God was faithful. And so although she wavered uh, in her faith, uh, she did commit herself to her husband and she trusted that the Lord's promises were true. Yeah, uh, Matt, I want to go back uh, to the covenant of circumcision that you mentioned that's told about in Genesis 17, where God reaffirmed the promise to give Abram and his wife Sarai a child. In making this covenant, God changed Abram's name. And you read that a while ago from Abram, that means high father, to Abraham, that means father of a multitude. And God changed Abram's wife Sarai's name to Sarah, which means mother of nations, uh, for kings of people shall be from her. Well, after that, God told Abraham that the son that would be born to him and Sarah would be named Isaac, which means laughter. And you alluded to the fact a while ago that when when uh, Sarah was eavesdropping and heard that she was going to have a baby, she laughed because she thought about herself being so old having a baby. Well, the Bible tells us that uh, in Genesis 17, 17, that Abraham, upon hearing this once again, that he was going to be a father at such an old age, it says in Genesis 17, 17, that he fell on his face laughing. And when I when I read that, I thought of, a you know, just a big belly laugh, you know, and but verse 17 says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Now, at first, you know, that appears uh, to suggest that maybe Abraham is is showing a lack of faith that he could become a father at 100. But that's not true. The New Testament tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, that Abraham did not doubt what God told him. Listen to what Paul said. And not being weak in faith, he, meaning Abraham, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider that's what verse 19 says. He did not waver, verse 20, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So the laughter of Abraham in Genesis 17, 17 uh, was in wonder and anticipation. Well, things happen as God had said, and Abraham, 
you know, you can count it down. Nine months later, they they be they became the proud uh, parents of a little boy they named Isaac, which means laughter. You see, Abraham and Sarah believed the promise of God, and the power of God was brought into their barren lives. That's exactly right. So Abraham and Sarah, uh, they displayed a great uh, monumental act of faith, and it was the faith that God would indeed grow their family. Again, grow it out of almost nothing, uh, what seemed impossible. Uh, they, they believed that God still would do somehow, some way. Um, and that did come to be with Isaac uh, being born. Well, now let's look at the third and final act of monumental faith, and that's faith to let go. And let's read Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Let's read that together. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God would raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now, Dad, this particular uh, act of faith is probably my favorite that we read about Abraham and, and ultimately Sarah as well. Abraham displayed the faith to let go of his one and his only son. Now, think about it. Uh, this was this meant a lot to Abraham, right? So Abraham mm-hmm. had, had been promised that he was going to become the, the father of this great nation and that the world uh, would be blessed because of, of him. And, uh, and finally, he's been waiting all this time, and he has a son, and now God asks for him to, to give that son up. So this didn't mean just losing his only son, but it would also mean destroying the promise because mm-hmm. ultimately that would come through, through Isaac. And so uh, it's just an amazing act of faith that even with that on the table or that on the line, we see that Abraham still acted in faith. Now, you can find the full account of what happened in Genesis uh, chapter 22, but I want to just kind of tell the story in my own words, because as I said, this is one of my favorite uh, sections of Scripture here. And so what happened is God came one day to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, he says, I'm going to test you. I want you to, to take Isaac, and I want you to go to Moriah, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham, again, is not recorded as asking any questions or second-guessing. He just begins to split wood and get together the wood that would be needed for the sacrifice. And he gets Isaac, and he gets a couple of his servants, and they head off to Moriah. And so they travel, and, and God says, when you get there, I'm going to tell you which mountain to go to. And uh, when you get there, you'll go to that mountain, and you're going to sacrifice Isaac on that mountain. So they take off, they're traveling, they're journeying, they get over to Moriah, and, and God says, I want you to go to that mountain. And so Abraham looks to his servants, and he says to them, he's like, you stay here, and me and the boy are going to go worship. And that one of the, my favorite parts of that scripture, it says, and we will return. Mm-hmm. Now, I find that statement amazing. He's already saying that both of us are coming back. Mm-hmm. He had faith that it was going to happen somehow, some way, right. that both of them were going to come back. And so there they go, Isaac and, and Abraham, they're, they're tracking up through this mountain, um, and he puts the, Abraham puts the sticks and the, and the wood that's going to be used for that offering on top of Isaac, and, and they take off, and he's carrying a torch with them that's going to have the fire that'll be part of that burnt offering. And as, and as they're climbing up the mountain, Isaac looks over to his dad, and, and he says, you know, Daddy, uh, where's the lamb? He said, we got fire, we got wood, 
well, where's the lamb? I find it interesting that, you know, the first person we talked about in the Hall of Faith was Abel, mm-hmm. right? And Abel gave the more acceptable sacrifice. He gave a blood offering to God. Right. I find it great that Abraham, a person of faith, he's obviously taught Isaac, his son, the appropriate way that you approach God in sacrifice, and that right. is that nothing other than a blood sacrifice is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so Isaac, being a young man, he says, something's missing here. We've got fire, we've got wood, but where's where's the blood sacrifice going to come from? Right. And Abraham says, let's just keep going. God's going to provide. Mm-hmm. They get all the way up to the place where God wants uh, this offering to take place. And Abraham, as you mentioned, he's a maker of altars. And so he made quick work of building an altar uh, to, to do the sacrifice. And he gets everything prepared. And, and ultimately, he goes over and he starts wrapping a rope around uh, Isaac and, and binding him up and lays him down on this altar. And uh, he's already beginning to pull back his knife because he's going to slay his, his son so that blood is shed upon this altar. And then it, uh, ultimately the flesh would be burned as part of this burnt offering involving blood. And as his hand is reared all the way back, an angel speaks and says, wait, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Abraham says, yes, I'm here. Uh, who is it? And as he's listening to the voice of this angel, he lifts up his eyes, and over there in the thicket, he sees uh, a ram that's been caught up in the in the brush and the branches with its horns. Mm-hmm. And God provided a sacrifice, uh, an animal for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so he took Isaac off the the altar, and I'm sure they went over there and they grabbed that that ram, and they went through the the ceremonial process of slaying the 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 ram and the shedding of the blood and the burnt sacrifices. And, and that offering was given up to God. And it pleased God so much because mm-hmm. Abraham did exactly what he wanted to. He followed through with great obedience and great faith to even go as far as to put his, his only son's life on the line mm-hmm. to be obedient to God. And, Dad, one of the things that it doesn't say it in the Bible, but and I'm very careful. I don't want to add anything to Scripture, um, but I just think about that walk down the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I got to think about the conversation that those two were having. Right. Uh, you know. Isaac saying, uh, you know, Dad, that that was a close one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> were you really going to do that, Dad? And Abraham saying, son, I told you God was going to provide. He did it here. He did it. He's done it before. He's done it all these times. You yourself are a walking miracle. God can do anything. And I just see him teaching his son all the way down this mountain about how good God is and how God provides. And ultimately, when they got back down to their servants, the servants, you know, they probably told them, said, you're not going to believe what happened on top of that mountain. But God provided the sacrifice that we needed. Uh, I was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, but God stepped in and he provided what we needed. And uh, it's just an amazing story. Uh, one of the greatest uh, sections of Scripture uh, that, that I can think of. You know, Abraham was so uh, convinced of the promise of God that through Isaac would come, you know, the rest of his uh, heirs, you know, the ones yeah. that would come forth from his family that would possess the land. He really believed that if God uh, God needed to, he'd raise him from the dead. And that's amazing. That's an amazing thought because you think about, uh, you know, from our perspective, we obviously have all of Scripture, and we know uh, about God's ability to raise people from the dead. Right. Right. And so it would be, you know, very high of ourselves to sit here and think, oh, I would have done that. Mm-hmm. Right. But we, we see a track history that God raises people from the dead. Right. Here's Abraham. 
Abraham doesn't have the New Testament. He doesn't right. have uh, Jesus raising from the dead. He doesn't have Lazarus. He doesn't have uh, all all those miracles that Jesus did throughout the New Testament. But he reasoned, it says, uh, what is that, verse 19, it says that he reasoned in his head that God would raise him from the dead even if he had to. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that Abraham had such faith that he says, God said he's going to do a, a great thing through me, through my family, and he's given me the link to that, which was Isaac, my one and only son. And God's promises is true, and I believe in it, and this boy is going to be part of it, and so he, he's going to bring him back from the dead because that, he's going to fulfill his promise. That's, that's right. how much faith he had. That's amazing. I don't recall any scripture passage before Abraham where it says that anybody was raised from the dead either. That's right. That's right. You know, we don't we don't see that, and so it's hard to say that he would have something to draw that from, but it just said that he reasoned in his mind. And I think about how much faith it takes for, for someone to put that together, to say, you know, God's I believe so strongly that God's going to say what he's going to do, and it has to happen through Isaac because he told me it was going to happen through this baby that he's going to bring him back from the dead if that's what it takes. That's exactly but ultimately right. God provided. And I love love that story. God that's... God always provided. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about with Jimmy of how, you know, following in obedience uh, to what God told him to do and God provided all along the way. And same thing happened there with uh, Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, you know, thinking back about that conversation that we had with Jimmy, uh, his point was, you know, if God calls you to go on a mission field, you know, uh, you just go. You just right. go. And then he gave example how God uh, God just met all of his needs. He went, and, and at every stop, God met his need. You know, you just go. Yeah. You just, that's what you call stepping out in faith. You exactly. Know? Well, you know, I've heard it said that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Boy, I want to tell you something. Abraham's faith was put to the test. And it, and it was not tested for God to learn anything about Abraham. He already knew everything. It, it was a test for, if anything else, for us to learn from the example of Abraham and his sincere faith. It was re- going to be recorded in Scripture. And then it showed a lot to Abraham about himself, too. Sure. I find out more about myself uh, through uh, the tests and trials that God allows me to go through. Sometimes I find out that I'm not near as good a person as I thought and perceived myself to be, you know, when I go through hard times. <clears throat> I mean, God, God allows things to happen to us uh, to reveal uh, things to us about ourselves that he wants us to know. Well, I think about Lot, too. Think about how he was a man that loved God, but he was tested, too. Mm-hmm. But God always came through for him. You know, one scripture that I... I just can't help but to uh, to read and tell you about before we before we move off from talking about Abraham. Jesus talked about Abraham in John eight fifty six. Jesus said, "Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad." Well, how did Abraham see our Lord's day? That is his life ministry on earth. Well, the same way. He saw the future city by faith. Now, uh, this is not necessarily uh, my personal thoughts here, even though I agree with it. It's come from Warren Wearsby and his commentary. <clears throat> but he said that God gave Abraham spiritual perception to see these future events concerning Jesus. Certainly, Abraham saw the birth of the Messiah in the miraculous birth of his son Isaac. He saw Calvary when he offered 
Isaac to God. <clears throat> in the priestly ministry of Melchizedek, Abraham could see the heavenly priesthood of the Lord. And in the marriage of Isaac, Abraham could see a picture of the marriage of a lamb. So isn't that wonderful that uh, Abraham, you know, God was God was proud of Abraham. It's interesting that uh, we read on numerous occasions, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Boy, isn't that something to to go down in history and in the Bible where your name is listed, where God uh, identifies with you. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, I, I want to so live my life uh, that uh, that people can look at, at Reggie and the God I serve and say that uh you know, God and I, God su- supports me in, in the ministry that I do and what he called me to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful for God to say, I'm the God of Reggie, the God of Matt, That's right. you know, and, and his extended family. That's what we would want God to say about us. We'd want him to be proud of us and, and to show how proud he is of us when we walk through the pearly gates and he, and he hugs us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, entering into the joy of thy Lord. And a lot of times we forget that one word in there that really stands out, thy faithful servant. We're talking about faith. Talking about faith, that's right. So Abraham and Sarah, they had monumental faith is what we looked at today. And and they had faith to go, faith to grow, and faith to let go. And uh, I just want to encourage you, Dad, as as you were talking about, uh, encourage our audience um, to think about uh, how does your faith uh, stand up in comparison to, to that of, of Abraham. We're not uh, saying that that's necessarily uh, what the intent of the study is, but I think it's worthwhile uh, to just sit there and say, you know, it, it, does my faith, do I have faith like that? Uh, and if you don't, it, man, this should want you to have faith like that. I do, just as you said. I'd, I'd love to to be referred to as, you know, God to say, well, I'm the God of Matt Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, not because of I'm anything great or good. Right, but bring it's just, attention to myself. Yeah, but, but just, just because I was faithful. I was to faithful him. to know he was proud of me. That's exactly you know, right. I, I want my dad, when I was growing up, to be proud of me, you know, yeah. and so – and uh, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah I, I love that as well. So hopefully uh, this series, By Faith, is encouraging you to live your life uh, by faith and, and to really think about what it means to be uh, faithful to God and to trust in the promises of God and put your whole heart and, and, and trust in Him and what He did for you. Um, and when you do that, uh, it's going to be amazing what's going to come back to you, the the, the peace that comes back to you, uh, the comfort that comes back to you when knowing that your God's got it, he's in control, he's made a promise, and his word is true, and it's never changing. Uh, it's just going to give you so much joy and so much peace to put your faith and to live by faith, just like we're studying from these uh, members of the Hall of Faith. You know, going back to Abraham, we never read that he built a permanent house to dwell in Canaan. That's right. But yet God said this land is going to be for you and your descendants. And, you know, verses 13 through 16, uh, you know, we went from verse 12 to verse 17 because, you know, that that kind of connected Abraham. And uh, sort of like verse 13, I want to go back and read it. It says, these all died. And, of course, those these are talking about Abraham and the ones we've already talked about in the podcast, uh, Enoch and Abel and Adam and Noah, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. 
embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, they died in faith that uh, Abraham did, that one day all of these descendants of mine is going to be as numerous as sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. Hey, they're going to be here, and they're going to be living in this land that God told me about. They saw it in afar. You know, uh, those of you that are listening, there's perhaps a lot of people out there that are waiting. You're waiting on the Lord right now. You think about all the many years that Abraham and Sarah, they were faithful to God, but they waited. And they waited. And then God came through and he, he gave Abraham that son of promise, Isaac. Well, there's people out there listening to us today that are waiting. And, and I want to conclude by sharing with you a verse that came to my mind while Matt was talking a while ago. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Here's a promise to you, those of you that are waiting. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You you uh, hold to that promise. God's going to be with you. He's going to give you strength in this hour in which you're waiting. I don't know what you're waiting for, but he's going to give you strength. Mm, that's good. I can't think of a better way to end it. So, Dad, will you pray us out of here? Yeah. Father in heaven, thank you, O Lord, for loving us and providing for us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking to us and, and giving us assignments. And, Lord, when you do, we want to be like Abraham. Uh, he obeyed while he was hearing your instructions. He'd already in his heart and mind decided he was going to do everything you asked him to do. And, Lord, that's how we are to obey. And, uh, and Lord, uh, you always give us exactly what you want us to know when you want us to know it. There's people out there, Lord, that need to hear that today. They're waiting. They're waiting on you to give them an answer. They're waiting on on a, a further instruction. Uh, so God, help them to be patient while they're waiting and to keep working and keep serving, to keep, keep in motion, uh, just like a, uh, a car's got to stay in motion, to, to stay in motion doing what you've already told them to do while they're waiting. And God, I pray that if there are those that are not Christians, that have not put their faith in Jesus, who died in their place as uh, their substitute experience and the penalty for sin for them so they wouldn't have to, that was buried and resurrected. I pray that they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ today. You provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. You provided Jesus as our substitute, the sinner substitute, to experience the punishment for sin, to die as a sacrifice for us that we might not have to, and you raised him from the dead. So, Father in heaven, I pray that people will put their faith and trust in this one Jesus who died to take away their sin and not trust in themselves to go to heaven because they can't get there on their own. But right now, stop what they're doing and pray and ask you to forgive them of their sins and come into their lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.